You're listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Dion Cordova of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. But it just says that God is a game changer. Say it again. What? God is a game changer. God turns suffering and shackles into salvation. You know, that's how our God rules. Huh? Isaiah said it like this. He will turn your ashes into beauty, your sorrow into joy, and your heaviness into praise. Yeah, somebody shout hallelujah, because that's true. He's a game changer. God is always working behind the scenes, but sometimes He likes to take center stage for those around to see just how powerful He truly is. Pastor Dion reiterates the ministry of Paul and Silas and how one night in jail changed a family's life forever. God is a game changer. He's in the business of turning lives completely around to know the joy of eternal life. God turns suffering and shackles into salvation. God not only wants to do that for you, but for those around you that need the life-saving message of a Savior. Now let's join Pastor Dion in the book of Acts, chapter 17, as he begins his message, God's Word, a Sword. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 16, and then we'll jump into chapter 17. So go ahead and find both of those chapters. And I guess I should start by saying the book of Acts tells us how the saving message of Jesus, the seed of salvation, the saving message of Jesus was spread. The book of Acts tells us how that saving message of Jesus, just like a seed, was spread. How courageous apostles and disciples teamed up and carried it out of Jerusalem into the known world. That's what the book of Acts describes for us. It kind of lays out for us. And how these courageous disciples took the message, the seed of God's Word, and the message of salvation beyond Jerusalem into Syria, into Turkey, and into this place. Everybody said out loud, Greece. You know, Greece is the time, is the place, is the motion. Greece is where they're preaching right now. All right? Yes, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke traveled over 2,000 miles to share Jesus with the Greeks. They experienced both progress and persecution. So they went out there, they carried the gospel beyond Jerusalem, Syria, Turkey, now Greece, They're sharing the gospel, and these guys, they experienced both progress and persecution. In one particular city called, everybody say it, Philippi, in one particular city called Philippi, some women received and believed the message of salvation that these guys had brought. And one of the ladies, Lydia, opened her home as a meeting place to learn more about Jesus. So these guys, they go to Greece, they land there, they go to the first major city. The first person that gets saved is a woman and her family, and she opens her home for them to learn more and for the apostles to teach more about Jesus. Well, things were going great 
until a week later. Paul is preaching and they're her house and people are coming and they're beginning to respond. But unfortunately, a week later, Paul and Silas were arrested for delivering a demonized girl in the name of Jesus. Paul and Silas were beaten with rods because of it. They were placed, spread eagle in stocks in the dungeon of a prison. Paul and Silas and, and Luke and Timothy, they're doing God's work. They're spreading the message. Some people have gotten saved and opened their home. They, now they have a platform, a place to share it. And a week later, they get in trouble because a demonized girl comes around and Paul delivers her from the demon. But because of it, they get beaten, thrown in prison, put in stocks, chained in the cellar of the prison, or we would call the sewage canal. And there they stayed. The jailer might have even mocked them as he you know, locked their shackles. He might have said, you're not in Kansas anymore, Pedro, you know? But rather than complain about their circumstances, Paul and Silas in that prison celebrated their amazing God. I'm going to say it again. Rather than complain about their circumstances, they celebrated their amazing God. That He is almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient, ever-present. That He is sovereign. And that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Paul and Silas sang a version of the Casting Crown song that says, I will praise you in the storm because you are who you are no matter where I am. It was awesome. Now, as they prayed and praised in the prison, the prisoners, the Scripture said, heard them. The phrase heard them implies that they were leaning in, eavesdropping. That they were telling each other, shh, shh, shh. They wanted to hear as Paul and Silas are talking about God and celebrating His goodness in spite of where they are. They're telling the Lord, you are sovereign. You are a deliverer. You are our strong refuge. You are our mighty tower. And we go in with confidence and rest. As they're doing that, the prisoners, like I said, they were leaning in, eavesdropping. And that's when God did something amazing. You know, sometimes God shows up, and sometimes God shows off. Watch what He did. Verse 25 of chapter 16. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was awesome. God showed off. God shook the prison. The doors fell off their hinges. And the chains fell off the prisoners. All of them were loosed. But no one 
cut and run. None of the prisoners took off. You see, it was obvious that Jesus, whom Paul and Silas were in prison for preaching, was truly the Savior and the one true and living God. They were eavesdropping and hearing them pray. And it was no coincidence that with their prayers, the prison shook and everyone was free. So they put it together and realized these men and their God is the reason this happened. So none of them cut and run. In fact, as we read, it was obvious that Jesus was the Savior and even the jailer cried out and begged, what must I do to be saved? Well, Paul and Silas didn't have to be asked twice. You know what I'm saying? Preachers don't have to be asked twice to preach. So Paul and Silas didn't have to be asked twice. They shared the message of salvation with the jailer and his entire household. All of them believed and were saved. You know what? Our God is a, everybody said a lot of what? A game changer. Say it again. Our God is a what? A game changer. Here they were one minute in suffering in prison, and the next minute they're being asked, what can I do to be saved? And they share the gospel message, and it resonates. It saves a whole jailer and his family. Isn't that awesome, guys? You missed a place to applause. Sorry, you missed it. But it just says that God is a game changer. Say it again. What? God is a game changer. God turns suffering and shackles into salvation. You know, that's how our God rules. Huh? Isaiah said it like this. He will turn your ashes into beauty, your sorrow into joy, and your heaviness into praise. Yeah, somebody shout hallelujah, because that's true. He's a game changer. Now, the next day, the judges or the magistrates ordered Paul and Silas to leave their city. So you know, they were praying, God shows up and shows off, the prisoners are free, and the jailer gets you know, saved, he becomes a believer in his whole family. So the next day the judges say, you need to leave. Not just the prison, but you need to leave our city. See, the magistrates had that if you can't beat them, impeach them philosophy. You know what I'm saying? So Paul and Silas were released from prison and made one last stop at Lydia's house. Let's look at verse 39. So they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. That was the magistrates asking Paul and Silas to leave. So Paul and Silas went out from the prison and entered the house of Lydia, you know, where they were staying and where they were actually holding Bible studies and teaching. And when they had seen the brethren there, they encouraged them and departed. So we get it. Lydia's house, when they got there, was filled with a bunch of new believers. Everybody said, what? New believers. People that had become new creations in Christ. It was filled with people who had become new creations in Christ, who had been adopted into a new family, the family of God. They were filled with a bunch of people that had a new hunger and thirst for right living. And they were gathering together to learn more about their Savior. 
Then Paul and Silas went over to their house. I mean, there was Lydia and her family that was there. There was the jailer and his family was there. Maybe even the girl who had demonized was there. There were probably others who were there. The house was filled with people eager to know more about God, whose lives had been touched, who had heard the message and wanted to know more. It's what we call, everybody say the word, church. Say it again. It's what we call what? Church. Listen, what makes a church is not a building, bylaws, or a business license issued by the state. What makes a church is believers gathering together to exalt the Lord, to encourage one another, and to embrace being more like Jesus. That's what a church is. You are the church right there. You've gathered together to worship, to exalt the Lord. You've gathered together to encourage one another. You've gathered together to hear more about becoming like Christ. That's the church. You're the church. Not your neighbor and say, we're the church. Oh, yes. That's what was taking place at Lydia's house. And now Paul and Silas and the guys were going to be leaving. There was a church. And every church needs a pastor. Everybody said every church needs a what? A pastor. Paul explained it like this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Pastors or teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and grow them to a place of strength and maturity until we all become full-grown in the Lord to the point of being just like Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So there was a church there, but every church needs a pastor. And Paul wasn't about to leave these new believers, this church in Philippi, without a pastor. So Paul had Luke stay behind to pastor the Philippians. We know this because Luke is the author of this of this book, the book of Acts, and Luke changes his personal pronouns in the narrative from we and us to they and them now. So up to this point, we've watched Luke say, and we and us, we were doing this. But now the narrative's going to change. It's they and them. Because Paul and Silas and Timothy are going to continue. Luke is going to stay back and take care of the church. Isn't that awesome, guys? Look at your neighbor and say, we need a pastor. Look at your neighbor and say, we need a pastor. In fact, let's read it. Chapter 17 and verse 1. Now when they had passed, and you notice they, everybody said what? They, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So here's what happens in Philippi, Paul and Silas are ordered to leave. Leave the city. They make one last stop at Lydia's house. And there's the people. The church. But he says, I can't leave them. They still need to grow. So I'm going to leave them with a pastor. Luke, you stay behind. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they go on. Now, think about it. After a bloody beating and a sleepless night, Paul, Silas, and Timothy... Say goodbye to Philippi. Everybody said, they said what? Goodbye. In fact, let's wave. Let's wave at Philippi. Goodbye, Philippi. They wave to Philippi. And they head full throttle on foot 
covering over a hundred miles in three days to the next major city called Thessalonica. Over a hundred miles on foot in three days. Everybody say full throttle. Or as Albert said, vale gas, right? So that's what they did. We might say, calmate Paul. I mean, what's your rush, bro? The city isn't going anywhere. That's what we might think or say. But Paul would remind you that we only have one life to do God's work. And we're racing against the clock. I'm going to say it again. Paul would remind us that we have only one life to do God's work. And we're racing the clock. You see, Paul had a sense of urgency, just like Jesus. Everybody say the word urgency. Urgency. Paul had an urgency just like Jesus. In fact, John chapter 9 and verse 4 quotes Jesus telling us this. Here's what he said. Get your butt in gear. Oh, wait a minute. That's not, that's not quite what he said. But it's pretty close. Here's John chapter 9 and verse 4. Here's what Jesus said. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. I'm going to read it again. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. The night is coming is talking about judgment. You see, every minute someone dies without Christ and will face eternal judgment. So Jesus was saying, we gotta get busy. Not your neighbor and tell them, we gotta get busy. Listen, we might be the only chance that some people have to hear about Jesus and salvation. So let's not be like the people in the lifeboats of the Titanic. They had plenty of room and time to save others, but they didn't engage. They didn't reach out. People around us are about to drown, not in water, but fiery judgment. Let's rescue them while we can. In fact, I love the way Jude encouraged us in Jude verse 22 and verse 23. He said, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Read this all out with me. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Wow. Well, Paul rode his lifeboat fast and furious into Thessalonica. Now we know what is the motivation for him to cross, you know, uh, over a hundred miles in three days. He is pedal to the metal, he is rowing his lifeboat fast and furious into Thessalonica, which is a huge city with over 80,000 people drowning in sin and in death and in need of a rescue. Paul's first stop, it tells us, was the synagogue. See, Paul's rule was to preach to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. So he rode fast and furious into Thessalonica, this huge city, and the first stop he makes is at the synagogue to preach Christ to them. Let's read it, verse 2 of chapter 17. Then Paul, as his custom was, 
went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. What did he do, guys? Reason with them from the Scriptures. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of them, the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And that's a good place to give an applause, because it's awesome. He rose in there, goes to the synagogue, and it says Paul spent three days teaching from the Scriptures. Paul, what he did is he took out their Old Testament scrolls, and systematically aligned all of the prophecies of the Messiah with Jesus. He basically said, hey, listen, let's take out the Scriptures and let's find out the prophecies about the Messiah. Which tribe was the Messiah supposed to come from? Somebody? The tribe of Judah. Everybody said, what? The tribe? That's what the prophecies say. What tribe was Jesus from? Alright, so then the next question Paul said, okay, so then here's the next thing. Where would Jesus be born? Or, excuse me, where would the Messiah be born, right? That's what the Scripture says. Where, I'm telling you, Jesus was born in? Oh, okay. Then he said, alright, so the Scriptures say that the Messiah would grow up in a place called Nazareth. You know where Jesus grew up? There's a lot of things you can control, but you can't control what tribe you're being born from. You can't control where you're going to be born, and you can't control where you're going to grow up. Huh? So then the next question was, he says, and and, and here's the next thing. What miracles does the Scripture say that the Messiah would perform? Well, they said um, he's going to uh, give sight to the blind. He's going to heal lepers. He's going to um, make paralytics walk. He's going to uh, raise the dead. He's going to feed the multitudes like Moses did. Uh, the scriptures all say that. Guess what? Jesus did all of those things. All right, so then he goes on and he says, and how does the scripture or the prophecy say that Jesus is supposed to die? Well, they read Psalm 22. They read Isaiah 53. They found out that it was through crucifixion. Everybody said, and guess what? Jesus died by the way of... Isn't that cool? Then Paul said, and what do the scriptures say about the fact that that where he would be buried? The scriptures talk about that too. They said, well, uh, the Messiah is going to be buried in a rich man's grave, in a rich man's tomb. Guess what? Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. Then he asked them, and what does the scripture say about the Messiah's resurrecting from the dead? Well, he said that it will be like the days of Jonah, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so Jesus will be in the heart. He will resurrect on the, everybody said, or the Messiah will. And then Paul said, and guess what? Jesus Christ resurrected on the third. As we cling to the simple.
This has been another edition of The Simple Truth. Thanks for tuning in. Jesus changed history, and when he changed history, he changed the world. Throughout the book of Acts, we get a glimpse into the early church and just how much Jesus' life impacted those around him. Jesus showed humankind not only how to live and love, but how to spread the love of the Father to the world. Here at The Simple Truth, we pray that you learn to live and love just as Jesus did. And once you do that, we pray that you share his love with the world, just as the disciples did. We're so glad that you tuned in today for Pastor Dion's teaching in the book of Acts. We'd like to encourage you to spend even more time studying the Word, learning about Jesus' life in the New Testament books. And we'd love to pray for you during this season as well. So please let us know how we can specifically be lifting you up to the Lord. Give us a call at 505-753-4363. That's 505-753-4363. Do you live in the Española area? If so, come visit us at Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel on Sundays and Wednesdays for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship. Find out more and get directions to the church by visiting tmcalvary.com. If you can't make it in person, we invite you to join us virtually through Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. Just follow the link to Facebook that you'll find at tmcalvary.com. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us again next time, right here on The Simple Truth. You're the one that we proclaim. We'll be fools for you as you work in us. May your power show in the deeds we sow. Let us join our hands, and together we stand. Together.